as a Hubble spacecraft could see beyond the atmosphere of the Earth. The dream can see beyond our conventional idea of waking reality. Dreams are postcards from the unconscious. Welcome dreamers to another episode in the Blue Door Playbook, a podcast that explores the underworld of dreams through the therapeutic work and wisdom of archetypal psychotherapist, Timothy Tate. I'm your host, Putter Brown. Episode one, the history of dreams and dream work. human being has always been fascinated with a symbolic representation of the experience they're having. South African psychologists and anthropologists and a band on the spectrum of psychology and anthropology in our country as well understand that the division between Neanderthal and Homo sapien occurred along this lines of a symbolic capacity. Neanderthals did not have that or represent that. And Homo sapiens started drawing on cave walls 45,000, 50,000 years ago. And it was seen as an innate pull to represent what was being experienced. It was so valuable and fundamental to the survival that it was seen as a key in one species surviving and one going extinct. That there was some capacity on Homo sapien man's part to dream and be creative. That seems to be a very important evolutionary trait. So imagine that the creativity and imagination has to be fed in order to be healthy and in order to be a wellspring that you can pull from. Imagine then that dreams are a way of filling that reservoir, that there is some sort of artesian aquifer of pure imagination, images, creativity, source material. Like if we were standing on a vast mesa with all sorts of visuals, but had no contact to the aquifer below us, we wouldn't last long, even though we were strong and saw many things or could do many things. And the aquifer of the imagination is the dream time. And it gets fed by meaningful, soulful encounters, whether waking or asleep. And so if you don't know how to fill that or how to pull from that, your life tends to be repetitive and mundane. So, 
back to the consulting room. Freud wrote his book, The Interpretation of Dreams, in 1895 to 1900, and it was published in 1900, so a thousand pages about the interpretation of dreams held sway and still does in the collective imagination for the last 120, 112 years, 116 years. So Freud's interpretation of dreams was that they were psychological events that compensated for the conflict within the psyche that he identified as id, ego, and superego. And so the dream time was a way of the brain negotiating the tension between the raw primal self, the id, and the shame-based governing mechanism, the superego, and the conflict between those two equally matched forces occurred in the ego and was worked out in the dream time through interpreting dreams via his idea, Freud's, through incredible research. <laughs> it's no small thing to write a thousand pages about dreams. Uh, into what we might now call archetypes, in which he called symbols that could all relate back to sexual tension. Neurosis, psychosis, all related back to this primal conflict between basically aggression and sex, those primary drives, and how the taboos against those primary drives inhibited such free expression and the ego through defense mechanisms, denial, projection, avoidance, would manage that conflict while awake and while asleep, the dreams would scurry all night long to try and relieve the conflict between the primal self of the id and the superego. So sometimes a cigar is just a cigar is what we've come up with in a cliche way of talking about him saying it's a penis. A snake is a penis. The cave is a vagina. As one of the poets in the rag and bone shop of the heart said, I had a dream last night of an open window and it's much too dangerous a dream to tell my wife. <laughs> Jung took it up and split from Freud on that. Not all of our dreams can be reduced to sexual tension. There is a transpersonal, divine, he was a son of a minister, creative, generative aspect to dreams. 
they weren't simply stories about your sexual frustration or your rage inhibition. So Freud, dreams are psychological events reducing the tension between the primal conflict between society and ape man, primal man, id man. Jung, dreams are stories from our imagination that inform us about a bigger picture than just our personal troubles. James Hillman, Carl Jung's successor, dreams don't necessarily mean anything. Can you simply host and stick with the image and hold the image as a springboard to your creativity? The dream is the trick on the unconscious. It allows us to see into what's hidden. And <laughs> it appears as if the unconscious can't help itself to dream. When we think about dreams, I'm persuaded by world wisdom and mythologies and stories, whether I be a Bushman in the Serengeti or whether I be a monk in the High Plateau in Tibet or a Christian in Savannah, Georgia. What are the universal elements in all peoples across time and in all cultures? The word archetype was fresh in my vocabulary. The archetypes are the basic agreed upon universal images that drive human behavior. And so I was in this scramble to synthesize, discard, and get down to what is most basic. And one of those most basic themes in the human condition is our capacity to dream a dream that only you can dream. That is the most individual experience we have, is the capacity to dream and remember the dream. Nobody else can have the dream I had last night. Share your dream with me and your horizon opens up so you can access the legacy of all who have come before you. So if we imagine the underworld as populated by archetypes, rather than think about the unconscious as repressed content, we can start to have the conversation you want to have, but you have to make that switch first. You have to move from Freud's idea of the unconscious as a territory of repressed content to the Greek idea and the Neoplatonic idea of Hillman that our sleep is a journey into the underworld where we encounter the archetypal 
characters of the collective unconscious. And Hillman details the character of the underworld like you would as a travel journalist detail your experience in Greece. You'd be talking about the temples, you'd be talking about the heroes, you'd be talking about the wars, you'd be talking about the hero's journey, there'd be epic stories about it, there'd be literal and mythical characters fulfilled that storyline, which over the eons has turned into an archetypal world where the underworld is your nightly experience with that story and all of that history. And he filled it in so fully that I saw myself, as he would write and as the myths would tell us about, approaching the river Styx as I'm falling asleep, as I'm being drugged to sleep, as I'm trying to use sleep aids to get to sleep, as I'm trying to drink more to get to sleep. I'm at the banks of the river Styx, paying the ferryman with all those prescription drugs or alcohol or pot, whatever gets me to that point so I can cross over into a whole nother world. Not just remnants of my daytime experience and the food I ate before I went to sleep, but an actual crossing over into another world, the underworld, the world ruled by Hades. The twins Zeus and Hades decided to break up the totality of the human world into the daytime of rational thought and to the underworld of imaginal reality. The Twin brothers said, you got the upper world, I got the underworld. We know what goes on in the upper world. We're still trying to figure out what the hell's happening in the underworld. Hillman addressed the underworld as a travel journalist would describe his adventure in another land. And so here we had the river sticks. We get across somehow. We have to face the multi-headed dog. We have to face our fears immediately. We often wake up, have sleep disorders, more sleep disorders now than ever before in the history of humanity. We try to hang in there. And then he talk about the next challenge of how we get back to the upper world, which is we have to cross the river Lethe, which is the river of forgetting. So the river Styx is how we get across into the underworld, and then we have to leave and come up to the upper world, and that's crossing the river Lethe, and that's why everybody says, I can't remember my dreams. Of course, you've crossed the river Lethe, the river of forgetting. It takes a hero to carry the goods from the underworld adventure into the upper world. So the way in which he detailed and gave such depth and character to the underworld is what made it, oh my God, this is fucking real. I know it's real. It sure felt real. You know, all my sympathetic systems are working real hard when I'm engaged with a villain in my underworld experience. My blood pressure's up, my heart's beating faster. 
So the body feels it's real. And from here we go into what really is real. Um, your waking idea of yourself, if that's what you think is real, then you're delusional. <laughs> is what you experience in the underworld real in terms of how it transfers to the upper world? That would be cheapening and missing the point of the underworld experience. There are two different worlds. What you experience in the underworld through the dream narrative, and you bring it and you tell a story of it to somebody you trust, the conveying of the story as in any journey, when you go on a journey and you come back and you talk to your friends about what you experienced, it's gonna trigger all sorts of associations and dialogue and excited exchange. Same with our adventure in the underworld every night. I come back, can't believe what I saw. I saw the ocean boiling furiously. That's, what is that? I mean, I can see it as clearly as I can see that tree out the window. So it's because he characterized in such detail the journey in the underworld that it gave me a realization that that is equally real. If we're gonna assign reality a definition of the effect it has on my psyche, then that's real. Just as this is real. If I run into a tree when I'm not paying attention, I'm gonna get a bump on my head. When I'm dreaming and the dreamer, whoever the hell that is or whatever that is, that underworld story is not paid attention to I'm going to live a less than satisfying life and die angry. Five months ago, I'm in my consulting room saying something like I did to a person who is engaged in the process, a young woman, brilliant attorney, and she had been a backcountry ranger in um, a national park on the Aleutian Islands in Alaska. Forget the name of the park. So I'm talking about it. I said, you know, just the story I told you about going in the underworld and then crossing the River Lethe to come to the upper world. She goes, I know where the River Lethe is. I go, what? She goes, yeah. It is the most dangerous river in Alaska. It looks like it's in a barren landscape. There's no trees. It's in a volcanic aftermath landscape. And it's brutally cold, narrow, but very deep and fast. And so she brought me photos of the River Lethe. And it's exactly like you would imagine it. Wow. That was sweet. Yeah. Sweet. Yep. Mm. People die trying to cross the River Lethe. Yeah. People die. Which, with poetic license, I would say is what happens to us when we don't carry the goods from our underworld adventure and have enough skills to cross the River Lethe. We're slowly dying. We're not drinking of the font of all that beauty and wisdom that comes from that underworld adventure.
nor that encounter with our shadows. If you don't understand and practice how to encounter the shadow in your dream time, how the hell are you going to fight it while you're awake? Not a chance. Not a chance. Yeah, not a chance. Wow. Okay. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. We've reached the end of another session in the Blue Door Playbook, a podcast for the soul featuring archetypal psychotherapist Timothy Tate. Thanks for listening. I'm Putter Brown. Stay tuned for the next episode where Timothy explores alchemy and the copper, silver, and gold dream. content in this podcast is strictly for informational and entertainment purposes only. If you are experiencing mental health symptoms, please contact a mental health provider in your community.